Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Well, hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 223 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for today, Wednesday, December 8th, 2021. And folks, this is, in a sense, a, a glorious victory episode. Why? The New England Patriots, as you are well aware, on Monday night, in rather unorthodox fashion, at least by modern standards, Take care of business against the Buffalo Bills and improve to 9-4 on the season. Giving themselves a, a little bit of a cushion in the AFC East and keeping themselves, as of right now, the top seed in the AFC were, if, were the playoffs to start today. So what are we going to do today? With the bye week coming up, I thought it would be important to do two things. We're going to talk micro and we're going to talk macro. In the second half of the show, I'm going to look at the overall AFC landscape. Look at the seven teams that right now are in the dance and talk about each of those teams and highlight how, look, as absurd as it might sound and as absurd as it probably would have sounded back in August, they got a shot at this, man. They got a shot at this. And so we'll talk about that in the second half of the show. In the first half of the show, we'll sort of revisit Monday night and address some of the sort of bigger conversation about that game that has unfolded over the past, say, 24, 36 hours. Before that, your usual cavalcade of announcements. Please do follow along with the hijinks on the Stake map at Mark Schofield. Check out the work at a variety of places. Matt Waldman's RSP Quick Game Podcast, USA Today, Touchdown Wire, over with Laurie Fitzpatrick, Barry Warner, Doug Farrar. I got a piece up right now on why Will Anderson Jr. should have been a Heisman finalist. Not just the numbers, not just the sacks, not just the tackles for a loss. By the way, he led the nation in both total sacks and tackles for a loss. But also what he does in creating opportunities for teammates. Seeing double teams, getting protections slid towards him. And how that's created one-on-one opportunities for guys on the other side to get home for big plays. And so you can check that out. Uh, That's the latest piece I've got up over at USA Today's Touchdown Wire. All right, let's talk Monday night. One of the things that I love and at times hate, to be honest, about the sort of the football media industry is the need or at least the feeling that you have to make grand sweeping conclusions after a game. 
you know, there's this desire to see a game, particularly a big game like Monday nights, and make definitive statements about, okay, this is what this game means. This is what this means for this team. This is what it means for the team that won. This is what it means for the team that lost. You know, there's perhaps no greater example of that than the Monday after the first week of the season. You know, last year I actually had a series at USA Today overreaction Monday where I would look at the games and look at some of the takes that were already flying on the timeline and say, all right, well, this is a wild overreaction or this isn't an overreaction. And while I had some fun doing that piece, you know, with all the other stuff I got going on, we kind of decided to put it on the shelf and do more sort of analysis type, film analysis type pieces for Sunday and Monday and stuff like that. So we put that piece on the shelf, Uh, but I did have some fun with it at the time. And it's true. We are prisoners of the moment. We live in this 280 character world where we have to make definitive conclusions right in the moment. We rarely, if ever, give things time to sort of breathe. And so in the wake of Monday night, what has happened is a lot of people making sort of declaratory statements and judgments about, okay, well, this tells us X, Y, and Z about New England. This tells us X, Y, and Z about Buffalo. Like, Here's why this was a brilliant game plan. Here's why this was a bad game plan. Here's why this speaks volumes about Mac Jones. Here's why this speaks nothing about Mac Jones. Like The discourse, post-Patriots game discourse, tends to be all over the place already. But I, I think this was an overdrive example of it. And so I thought it would be worthwhile to sort of, having let it all breathe for a couple of days now, revisit what this game, at least to me, indicated. And to me, it indicated, I'd say, a handful of things. One, Bill Belichick put together a brilliant game plan to win that game on that night. I I think this game, and I said this on Buffalo Radio Tuesday afternoon, this game was fought on fertile ground from New England's perspective. If you would have if you would have sat Bill Belichick down what last Wednesday afternoon and said, look, you've got the weather control machine, you, you've got whatever you need to set this game up, how do you want it played? In what conditions, and what environment, how would you want this game played? 50-mile-an-hour wind gusts, cold, with a little bit of flurries, would probably be close to ideal in his mind, at least in December. Now, if it were September, he might say, like, you know, let's drop this into the middle of a hurricane. Because think about it. Like, New England Patriots right now are built to run the football, to play physical football up front on offense and defense, to move the line of scrimmage. And what the Buffalo Bills do best is throw it. And as incredible as Josh Allen's arm is, even with the velocity he can get on throws, when they were going into the wind, the ball still moved. The back shoulder throw to Stephon Diggs, right? And on an ideal night, on an, in an ideal environment, that's probably a completion down to the three or something like that at its first and goal. I, he puts it onto the back shoulder. It's a tough play to cover for J.C. Jackson. Diggs makes the catch. It's first and goal at the three at a minimum from Buffalo's perspective. The ball sailed five yards out of bounds. And the wind also made a an impact on Allen's decision, at least from where I sit, on that final throw, right? He's got the dual posts, slot receiver, outside receiver. And 
I will say, Allen did also a very good job on that play using his cadence because New England lined up, clear cover zero, man pressure look, and I thought, there's no way. Please, for the love of Pete, do not go zero blitz right here. You're going to give him a quick read and throw. I'll talk more about this game in a second, like the watching it part. Um, but I thought, look, there's no way they're going zero pressure right now. They just can't do it. Allen used a double hard count, and he identified it. He, he They showed it. They, they showed it. Look, yeah, they're going to blitz. So he knew it, and I would have thought he would have thrown the inside post because that was open. It's a shorter throw, quicker throw, all that stuff. But he went to the outside post, and I think he went to the outside post because as Greasy and company were talking about, as Riddick and company were talking about, when he threw – to the left sideline, that was like directly into the wind and the ball barely moved. Whenever he had to throw like over the middle or to the outside, to the right, that's when the wind sort of that was working that way moved the ball. And so I think Allen thought the way to make sure that this ball gets to where I want it to go is to throw it to the outside. And that, that brought Miles Bryant into position to make a play on that throw. You know, because by throwing to the outside... You know, you bring that slot defender into play. But I think Allen's calculus was, yeah, I'll get it around him because at least I know where I can put the throw. If I try to throw it to the inside, I don't know where it's going. And so the point being, Belichick would have wanted it to be played this way, given what these teams do well and where they struggle. The Buffalo Bills struggle to stop the run. And so I think this game told us that Belichick had a particularly smart game plan to win that night. And even though they executed that game plan very well and it put them in position to win, Buffalo still had two drives late in the game where they could have taken the lead. And so for me, I'm not really comfortable saying that in three weeks, if this game in at Gillette up in Foxborough is sort of played, you know, 30 degree, no wind, kind of clear, if it's that kind of environment, I don't know if I can definitively say after Monday night, yeah, New England certainly wins that game. They won the first meeting between these two teams. I don't think, you know, some people have gone there. I can't go there. Now, obviously, you might see more from Mac Jones. You might see a lot from the quarterback in the passing game. So it will be a different game. But it just shows you Bill Belichick's ability to look at a situation and put together the best game plan for that situation. It's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. Now, the other thing I think it tells us, and I think this will be applicable three weeks from now in the playoffs if these teams happen to meet again, New England's the more physical team. New England is the more physical team. When you can line up six offensive linemen, two backs with a fullback, just one receiver in the game, and just basically run G lead over and over and over again against 10 guys in the box and still get plays working downhill and still get three yards, five yards, seven yards, when everybody in the world knows what's coming, you're a physical football team. You're the more physical football team. And I think that would be applicable three weeks from now, five weeks from now, whenever, whenever. I, New England's the more physical football team. If you caught... The show that I did with Chris Vass or at Coach Vass on Twitter, breaking down the Atlantic game. He Vass is absolutely brilliant, one of the smartest football minds, one of the smartest people I know. 
certainly one of the smartest football minds, uh, like identifying like shades and techniques and how it all fits together. He's just absolutely brilliant. But one of the lessons that I took from him in that show was among many lessons. You want to know who's winning a football game? You want to know who the better team is? Watch the line of scrimmage and see which way it moves. And, and that was the story Monday night. Not just with New England running the football, but when Buffalo ran the football, when Buffalo dropped a throw, like, they would get pressure with three. They would get pressure with four. New England moved and controlled the line of scrimmage. And that's not a wind situation. That's not a weather situation. That's just they're the more physical football team. Sean McDermott, after the game, talked about physicality. He talked about physicality. He talked about how they were out physical up front. And I think that lesson is applicable down the road. I don't think that's a weather thing. I think New England was the most physical team on Monday night. I think they will be the most physical team in three weeks. If they meet again, they'll still be the most physical team. That's where they want to be. And that also gets back to the first point about Belichick's game plan, which was Buffalo this year basically been a 4-2-5 team. You know, getting that third linebacker out onto the field wasn't something they had done a ton of. You know, they had basically been, you know, Matt Milano, Tremaine Edmonds as their two linebackers. Now you've got to go with three. Now suddenly you've got to get, you know, an A.J. Klein onto the field. And that was new for them. I think another lesson from this game is the, the, the Bill Belichick versus Sean McDermott thing because they stayed with their basic package, Buffalo did, or, you know, a four-down package against these six offensive line units. No one New England was going to run the football. And they just kind of stayed with it. You would think at some point they would have gone a little bit heavier, just basically gone goal line and dared New England to throw it. But they didn't do that. You know, they didn't press that decision, which I thought if the roles were reversed and Buffalo, for whatever reason... Maybe Josh Allen's hurt or something like that. They come out and they're going six offensive linemen and just running the football on every play. At some point, Belichick's going to say, you know what? Let's get out of our base packages here. Let's go heavy. Let's go jumbo. Let's go goal line. Dare them to throw it. You would think that Belichick, Steve Belichick as well, would make that adjustment. Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott, they didn't really do that. And so I think that's another lesson when you start thinking about the chess match in three weeks and down the road that's applicable. I know there's been a lot of talk about Mac Jones. And yes, I did the ton-in-cheek, all three throws with Mac Jones. But I don't think we really take any huge lessons about whether Belichick trusts or doesn't trust Mac Jones from this one. Now, maybe that's just me. Maybe others will feel comfortable doing that. You know, I, I think they will look at this and said, we're still having success doing what we want to do, running the football, so let's keep doing it. Until they truly stop us and get us out of it. I think if, you know, Buffalo had started to show that they could really stop the run and really slow down the ground game, you know, I, I think they probably would have thrown a little bit more, particularly when they had the wind. I think two early plays also played to that, which were the John O. Smith completion where into the wind, a five-yard throw or five-yard route, 10-yard throw, counter the distance in the pocket, you need an incredible catch to just complete it. That coupled with Harris scoring early really, you know, tilted the direction in terms of the play calling to, yeah, let's keep doing this. You know, if it's 
seven nothing Buffalo late into the first half, I think New England probably says, "All right, well, they're stopping us. We can't get it moving on the ground. We we gotta let them throw." You know, because somebody joked that you know. Why don't they just put Ramondre Stevenson or Damian Harris in a wildcat and run it that way? Now you've got an extra blocker without Mac. I think if the Patriots really thought we don't need Mac Jones, we don't trust Mac Jones, they might have done that. So there's that. And so ultimately, I wanted to look at the micro here. I, I, I don't think there are huge lessons to take from this game beyond Monday night. Other than perhaps, you know, Belichick's ability to make some adjustments and the physical nature of what New England wants to do. I think, look, Evan Lazar wrote about it. New England's defense did a fantastic job as well. I don't think we should overlook that, but, you know, we kind of knew that their defense was good. So I don't think there's any huge conclusions to really draw from that. Um, But I did want to mention generally about this game, and I've talked about this with Matt Waldman and others, you know, when the line gets sort of blurred between fan and analyst and you start being more analyst than fan, like there are times when you sort of watch even Patriots games for me with a sort of sterilized mindset of here's what's going right, here's what's going wrong, and you don't get emotionally wrapped up in it. That final play, that final defensive play, where they were showing the zero blitz look and I said I was saying, no, please don't do that. I was pacing. I was pacing around my living room. And it was the first time in a long time, I think really since the Seattle Super Bowl, where I found myself watching a Patriots game and the line between analyst and fan got flipped again. And I was back as a fan. And I was emotionally wrapped up in it. And it was thrilling to watch. And it was, I will say, it was nice to be back there. It was nice to be back in that. It was nice to sort of not watch it through this sterilized lens of, well, I got to talk about it tomorrow or the next day or write about it. So I got to keep a clear, focused head and try to be as, you know, opt honest and, you know, straight and narrow a view of it. I, the emotions got the best of me, which is partly why I sort of let it breathe for a bit because I didn't want to do a show immediately. It sort of just get wrapped up in it. I wanted to take a step back, but it was nice to be a fan again. And so I appreciate that. And the fact that we're talking about a team that is now in control of their own destiny is the first overall seed and getting that first round by. That's pretty cool too. So up next, we're going to go big picture. We're going to talk about the AFC and the seven teams that are in right now and where New England stands. That's ahead. Here at episode 223 of the Scale Show. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys! It's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. 
Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hidden. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Mark Schofield back with you now in episode 223 of the SCO show. Let's go big picture, right? I said that's what we're going to do. We'll take a step back and look at the AFC playoff standings right now. And again, it's December 8th. It's well before the, these will be decided. A lot could certainly change, right? But if the playoffs were to start this weekend, here's what you would get. You would get Buffalo as your seven seed going to Tennessee. Cincy as your six going to Baltimore. The Chargers as your five going to the Chiefs. And New England sitting at home taking it all in, which is incredible to think about. Absolutely phenomenal to think about. Now, of course, this could certainly change. You've got teams in the hunt like Pittsburgh at 6-5-1, India at 7-6. and six. They are coming in that AFC South, right? You know, Derrick Henry's down. Titans are kind of struggling right now. Colts are coming, you know, so that's a team to watch. Then you've got the teams at 6-6, six and six, the Raiders, the Browns, the Broncos that are still sort of in it. And then really your last team that's sort of in the mix, Miami at 6-7, and seven, who've been hot as of late. And so... There's a lot left to be determined. But let's just say for the sake of argument, for the sake of big picture stuff, those are your seven. You can make a case for any of those teams, right? You can start with Buffalo. I, I think they're better than seven and five and, you know, seventh seed would indicate. I think they've lost some tough games. I think that passing game is still extremely dangerous. I think the defense, while it might not be built to win, against a physical team, I think against the majority of offenses, is going to be very good. Losing Trey White, Trey White certainly, certainly hurts them. They're a dangerous team. The Bengals, their defense is a little bit better than advertised. Chidobe Awuze is playing extremely well. Trey Hendrickson is playing extremely well. I think Jamar Chase might be hitting a bit of a, a rookie wall which might be a little bit surprising given he opted out last year, but that also is because I think teams are rotating coverages towards him. You saw that in the Steelers' victory two weeks ago. They were really dropping robbers and using like one lurk, one cross, stuff like that, to take away Chase, which has opened up opportunities for T. Higgins, who's really emerged the past couple of weeks, and Joe Burrow is a very good quarterback. So there's a case to be made for this for the Cincinnati Bengals. For the Chargers, it's easy. It's Justin Herbert. It's their offense. Their defense can't stop the run. You know, all of these teams, that's the other other underlying thing. All of these teams have flaws. You know, for the Bills, it's it's maybe the lack of physicality. They can't run. And yeah, they've kind of been able unable to stop the run. For the Bengals, you know, they've had some head-scratching games. When you look at Cincinnati, it's like, wow, you've, you know, you blow out the Steelers, who are a team in the hunt. You know, you already beat Baltimore, blew them out, but then you're going to lose to the Browns? Interesting. You're going to lose to the Bears? Interesting. And so I think there's perhaps the, the weakness there is inexperience, right? You know, experienced veteran teams win those games. They don't give those games away. You know, so we've talked about them. We've talked about the Chargers for the Chiefs. Is it weird to say that the Chiefs' weakness right now is their offense? Is 
you know, Patrick Mahomes and company because their defense seems to be figuring it out. Their defense is in a position where, you know, they're sort of coming together. Tim Jenkins out in Denver, uh, Tim Jenkins elite, has been breaking down the game from Sunday night on Twitter today. And he, look, you know, the defense played well. Teddy Bridgewater made some mistakes, but that defense is playing well. It's the offense. Now, I think Patrick Mahomes, I tend to believe he, Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy are going to figure it out. And ultimately, they might be there as the one or the two, depending on how New England does. But their offense is a bit of a question. I think the Ravens, even though they're the three right now, they're the team that looks most vulnerable to me out of these seven. They're so banged up on both sides of the ball, but particularly on defense. You just lost Marlon Humphrey. That's going to really have an effect. You've lost Peters and Humphrey now, two critical components of your secondary. Wink Martindale loves play man coverage, zero pressure and stuff like that. Really going to be hard to do that till they start having to play more zone. And then speaking of the zero blitz stuff, you saw it Sunday afternoon. Pittsburgh's going to do that. Teams are going to keep throwing zero blitz at them until they figure out how to get out of those situations. I've seen some discussion that they got to give Lamar the ability to check in those situations when he sees those zero blitz looks to check to his screen, to to check to something. You know, Because right now it seems their answer is trust Lamar to figure it out post-snap. And you can't always do that. And so I think... You know, with Cincinnati, with the Steelers starting to perhaps figure it out, maybe even Cleveland, Baltimore might be the one that could fade. Tennessee, their defense has been better. I think the injuries there are a huge factor. Can they hold off the Colts? And then New England. And I think the we know what their strengths are, physicality, running the football, all that good stuff. The question is, still sort of the quarterback one, right? If they get into a game against, say, Kansas City, where you've got to try to win it 35-30, or a game against Buffalo or, you know, another team where it's sort of static conditions and you got to throw it to win it, can you do that? Now, maybe they still won't need to, right? Because you look at a team and you might expect that to happen. The Chargers, well, they beat the Chargers on the road. And you no, know, they were able to get some stops. They were able to make some plays defensively so they can prevent shootouts. And maybe that would be their response. You ask Bill Belichick, hey, could you win in a shootout? We won't have to. We'll get stops. That is the worst Bill Belichick impression ever. But that would probably be his answer. We won't have to win in a shootout because we trust our defense. You saw how they trust their defense on Monday night. And so maybe out of all these teams that have weaknesses... Maybe the Patriots are in the best position to neutralize their quote-unquote weakness, you know, which is really the uncertainty around could they win in a shootout, could they win if they have to throw it, because they won't need to be in that position because of their defense. And I'm reminded of a couple of years ago, I I tweeted out something to the effect of as the NFL is really moving in this spread, get light, get quick, get fast direction, there are going to be teams... They go in the other direction, like big, powerful, physical, and win that way. And we're seeing that, we've seen that now basically twice with Belichick, right? That 18-team physical down the stretch, 21 personnel down the stretch, and we're seeing it now with this version of the Patriots. And so you take a step back, you look big picture at the AFC, there is certainly a case to be made that, yeah, all seven of the teams that are in right now have flaws, 
but the one that might be in the best position to neutralize their flaw? The New England Patriots. There you go. Now, obviously, there's a lot of football left to be played. I will be here for all of it. You know that. But look, we're in December, and we're talking about the Patriots atop the conference right now as they enter into their bye week with a chance to get healthy, to take advantage of that late bye, and to make a run, which I'm pretty sure if you had told us back in August we would be in this situation, we would have taken it in a heartbeat. And so we forge on. That will do it for today. I will be back next Wednesday, even though it's the bye week. Um, we'll do one show next week to sort of, maybe I'll do a mailbag, State of the Patriots, something like that. Maybe I'll have somebody on. I don't know. Still figuring it out. Um, before I go, though, a, a quick private announcement. Simone, happy birthday. I know you will never hear this, but happy birthday. Mommy and Daddy are super proud of you. Until then, friends, until next Wednesday, stay safe. Enjoy the bye. Stress-free football. Got to love it. Get to watch that this weekend. Until next Wednesday, stay safe. Check in on your neighbors. Check in on your loved ones. Wash those hands. And when you do, sin along. Bless those Patriots reigns. Down in Foxborough.